0: Chapter Three of A Happy Boy by Bjornstjerne Bjornson, translated by Rasmus Andersen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Three. Oyvind grew and became a clever boy. He was among the first scholars at school, and at home he was faithful in all his tasks. This was because at home he loved his mother, and at school the schoolmaster. He saw but little of his father who was always either off fishing or was attending to the mill, where half the parish had their grinding done. What had the most influence on his mind in these days was the schoolmaster's history, which his mother related to him one evening as they sat by the hearth. It sank into his books, it thrust itself beneath every word the schoolmaster spoke, it lurked in the schoolroom when all was still, it caused him to be obedient and reverent, and to have an easier apprehension, as it were, of everything that was taught him. The history ran thus. The schoolmaster's name was Bard, and he once had a brother whose name was Anders. They thought a great deal of each other. They both enlisted. They lived together in the town, and took part in the war, both being made corporals and serving in the same company. On their return home after the war, everyone thought they were two splendid fellows. Now their father died he had a good deal of personal property which was not easy to divide but the brothers decided in order that this should be no cause of disagreement between them to put the things up at auction so that each might buy what he wanted and the proceeds would be divided between them no sooner said than done their father had owned a large gold watch which had a widespread fame because it was the only gold watch people in that part of the country had seen and when it was put up many a rich man tried to get it until the two brothers began to take part in the bidding. Then the rest ceased. Now, Bard expected Anders to let him have the watch, and Anders expected the same of Bard. Every bid in his turn to put the other to the test, and they looked hard at each other while bidding. When the watch had been run up to twenty dollars, it seemed to Bard that his brother was not acting rightly, and he continued to bid until he got it almost up to thirty. As Anders kept on, it struck Bard that his brother could not remember how kind he had always been to him, nor that he was the elder of the two, and the watch went up to over thirty dollars. Anders still kept on. Then Bard suddenly bid forty dollars, and ceased to look at his brother. It grew very still in the auction room. The voice of the lensman one was heard calmly naming the price. Anders, standing there, thought if Bard could afford to give forty dollars he could also, AND IF BARD GRUDGED HIM THE WATCH, HE MIGHT AS WELL TAKE IT. HE BID HIGHER. THIS BARD FELT TO BE THE GREATEST DISGRACE THAT HAD EVER BEFALLEN HIM. HE BID FIFTY DOLLARS IN A VERY LOW TONE. MANY PEOPLE STOOD AROUND, AND ANDERS DID NOT SEE HOW HIS BROTHER COULD SO mock HIM IN THE HEARING OF ALL. HE BID HIGHER. AT LENGTH BARD LAUGHED. A HUNDRED DOLLARS AND MY BROTHERLY AFFECTION IN THE BARGAIN, SAID HE, AND TURNING LEFT THE ROOM. A little later some one came out, just as he was engaged in saddling the horse he had bought a short time before. The watch is yours, said the man. Anders has withdrawn. The moment Bard heard this there passed through him a feeling of compunction. He thought of his brother, and not of the watch. The horse was saddled, but Bard paused with his hand on its back, uncertain whether to ride away or no. Now many people came out, among them Anders, who when he saw his brother standing beside the saddled horse, not knowing what Bard was reflecting on, shouted out to him, "'Thank you for the watch, Bard. You will not see it run the day your brother treads on your heels.' "'Nor the day I ride to the guard again,' replied Bard, his face very white, swinging himself into the saddle. Neither of them ever again set foot in the house where they had lived with their father. A short time later Anders married into a houseman's family but Bard was not invited to the wedding, nor was he even at church. The first year of Anders' marriage the only cow he owned was found dead beyond the north side of the house, where it was tethered, and no one could find out what had killed it. Several misfortunes followed, and he kept going downhill. But the worst of all was when his barn, with all that it contained, burned down in the middle of the winter. No one knew how the fire had originated. "'This has been done by someone who wishes me ill,' said Anders.' and he wept that night. He was now a poor man, and he had lost all ambition for work. The next evening Bard appeared in his room. Anders was in bed when he entered, but sprang up directly. "'What do you want here?' he cried, then stood silent, staring fixedly at his brother. Bard waited a little before he answered. "'I wish to offer you help, Anders. Things are going badly for you.' "'I am faring as you meant I should, Bard. "'Go. "'I am not sure that I can control myself.' "'You mistake, Anders. "'I repent. "'Go, Bard, or God be merciful to us both.' "'Bard fell back a few steps, "'and with quivering voice he murmured, "'If you want the watch, you shall have it. "'Go, Bard!' shrieked the other, "'and Bard left, not daring to linger longer.' Now, with Bard, it had been as follows. As soon as he had heard of his brother's misfortunes, his heart melted, but pride held him back. He felt impelled to go to church, and there he made good resolves, but he was not able to carry them out. Often he got far enough to see Anders' house, but now someone came out of the door. Now there was a stranger there. Again, Anders was outside chopping wood, so there was always something in the way. But one Sunday, late in the winter, he went to church again, and Anders was there too. Bard saw him. He had grown pale and thin. He wore the same clothes as in former days when the brothers were constant companions, but now they were old and patched. During the sermon, Anders kept his eyes fixed on the priest, and Bard thought he looked good and kind. He remembered their childhood, and what a good boy Anders had been. Bard went to communion that day and he made a solemn vow to his God that he would be reconciled with his brother whatever might happen. This determination passed through his soul while he was drinking the wine, and when he rose he wanted to go right to him and sit down beside him, but someone was in the way, and Anders did not look up. After the service, too, there was something in the way. There were too many people. Anders' wife was walking at his side, and Bard was not acquainted with her, HE CONCLUDED THAT IT WOULD BE BEST TO GO TO HIS BROTHER'S HOUSE AND HAVE A SERIOUS TALK WITH HIM. WHEN EVENING CAME, HE SET FORTH. HE WENT STRAIGHT TO THE SITTING-ROOM AND LISTENED. THEN HE HEARD HIS NAME SPOKEN. IT WAS BY THE WIFE. HE TOOK THE SACRAMENT TODAY, SAID SHE. HE SURELY THOUGHT OF YOU. NO, HE DID NOT THINK OF ME, SAID ANDERS. I KNOW HIM. HE ONLY THINKS OF HIMSELF. FOR A LONG TIME THERE WAS SILENCE. The sweat poured from Bard as he stood there, although it was a cold evening. The wife inside was busied with a kettle that crackled and hissed on the hearth. A little infant cried now and then, and Anders rocked it. At last the wife spoke these few words. "'I believe you both think of each other without being willing to admit it.' "'Let us talk of something else,' replied Anders. After a while he got up and moved towards the door. Bard was forced to hide in the woodshed, but to that very place Anders came to get an armful of wood. Bard stood in the corner and saw him distinctly. He had put off his threadbare Sunday clothes, and wore the uniform he had brought home with him from the war, the match to Bard's, and which he had promised his brother never to touch, but to leave for an heirloom, Bard having given him a similar promise. Anders' uniform was now patched and worn. His strong, well-built frame was encased, as it were, in a bundle of rags, and... At the same time, Bard heard the gold watch ticking in his own pocket. Anders walked to where the faggots lay. Instead of stooping at once to pick them up, he paused, leaned back against the woodpile, and gazed up at the sky, which glittered brightly with stars. Then he drew a sigh and muttered, Yes, 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 oh Lord, O oh Lord as long as bard lived he heard these words he wanted to step forward but just then his brother coughed and it seemed so difficult more was not required to hold him back anders took up his armful of wood and brushed past bard coming so close to him that the twigs struck his face making it smart for fully ten minutes he stood as if riveted to the spot and it is doubtful when he would have left had he not after his great emotion Been seized with a shivering fit that shook him through and through. Then he moved away. He frankly confessed to himself that he was too cowardly to go in, and so he formed a new plan. From an ash-box which stood in the corner he had just left, he took some bits of charcoal, found a resinous pine-splint, went up to the barn, closed the door, and struck a light. When he had lit the pine-splint, he held it up to find the wooden peg where Anders hung his lantern when he came early in the morning to thresh. Bart took his gold watch and hung it on the peg, blew out his light and left, and then he felt so relieved that he bounded over the snow like a young boy. The next day he heard that the barn had burned to the ground during the night. No doubt sparks had fallen from the torch that had lit him while he was hanging up his watch. This so overwhelmed him that he kept his room all day like a sick man, brought out his hymn-book, AND SANG UNTIL THE PEOPLE IN THE HOUSE THOUGHT HE HAD GONE MAD. BUT IN THE EVENING HE WENT OUT. IT WAS BRIGHT MOONLIGHT. HE WALKED TO HIS BROTHER'S PLACE, DUG IN THE GROUND WHERE THE FIRE HAD BEEN, AND FOUND, AS HE HAD EXPECTED, A LITTLE MELTED LUMP OF GOLD. IT WAS THE WATCH. IT WAS WITH THIS IN HIS TIGHTLY CLOSED HAND THAT HE WENT INTO HIS BROTHER, IMPLORING PEACE, AND WAS ABOUT TO EXPLAIN EVERYTHING. A little girl had seen him digging in the ashes. Some boys on their way to a dance had noticed him go down toward the place the preceding Sunday evening. The people in the house where he lived testified how curiously he had acted on Monday, and as everyone knew that he and his brother were bitter enemies, information was given and a suit instituted. No one could prove anything against Bard, but a suspicion rested on him. Less than ever, now, did he feel able to approach his brother. Anders had thought of Bard when the barn was burned, but he had spoken of it to no one. When he saw him enter his room the following evening, pale and excited, he immediately thought. Now he is smitten with remorse, but for such a terrible crime against his brother he shall have no forgiveness. Afterwards he heard how people had seen Bard go down to the barn the evening of the fire, and, although nothing was brought to light at the trial, Anders firmly believed his brother to be guilty. They met at the trial bard in his good clothes anders in his patched ones bard looked at his brother as he entered and his eyes wore so piteous an expression of entreaty that anders felt it in the inmost depths of his heart he does not want me to say anything thought anders and when he was asked if he suspected his brother of the deed he said loudly and decidedly no anders took to hard drinking from that day and was soon far off on the road to ruin Still worse was it with Bard. Although he did not drink, he was scarcely to be recognized by those who had known him before. Late one evening a poor woman entered the little room Bard had rented, and begged him to accompany her a short distance. He knew her. It was his brother's wife. Bard understood forthwith what her errand was. He grew deathly pale, dressed himself, and went with her without a word there was a glimmer of light from ander's window it twinkled and disappeared and they were guided by this light for there was no path across the snow when bard stood once more in the passage a strange odour met him which made him feel ill they entered a little child stood by the fireplace eating charcoal its whole face was black but as it looked up and laughed it displayed white teeth it was the brother's child there on the bed with a heap of clothes thrown over him, lay Anders, emaciated, with smooth, high forehead, and with his hollow eyes fixed on his brother. Bard's knees trembled. He sat down at the foot of the bed and burst into a violent fit of weeping. The sick man looked at him intently and said nothing. At length he asked his wife to go out, but Bard made a sign for her to remain. And now these two brothers began to talk together they accounted for everything from the day they had bid for the watch up to the present moment. Bard concluded by producing the lump of gold he always carried about him, and it now became manifest to the brothers that in all these years neither had known a happy day. Anders did not say much, for he was not able to do so, but Bard watched by his bed as long as he was ill. "'Now I am perfectly well,' said Anders, one morning on waking. "'Now, my brother,' we will live together, and never leave each other, just as in the old days. But that day he died. Bard took charge of the wife and the child, and they fared well from that time. What the brothers had talked of together by the bed, burst through the walls and the night, and was soon known to all the people in the parish, and Bard became the most respected man among them. He was honored as one who had known great sorrow and found happiness again, or as one who had been absent for a very long time. Bard grew inwardly strong through all this friendliness about him. He became a truly pious man, and wanted to be useful, he said, and so the old corporal took to teaching school. What he impressed upon the children, first and last, was love, and he practiced it himself, so that the children clung to him as to a playmate and father in one. Such was the history of the schoolmaster, and so deeply did it root itself in Ovid's mind that it became both religion and education for him. The schoolmaster grew to be almost a supernatural being in his eyes, although he sat there so sociably, grumbling at the scholars. Not to know every lesson for him was impossible, and if Ovid got a smile or a pat on his head after he had recited, he felt warm and happy for a whole day. It always made the deepest impression on the children when the old schoolmaster sometimes before singing made a little speech to them, and at least once a week read aloud some verses about loving one's neighbor. When he read the first of those verses, his voice always trembled, although he had been reading it now some twenty or thirty years. It ran thus. Love thy neighbor with Christian zeal, crush him not with an iron heel though he in dust be prostrated. Love's all-powerful, quickening hand guides forever with magic wand all that is created. But when he had recited the whole poem and had paused a little, he would cry, and his eyes would twinkle. Up, small trolls, and go nicely home without any noise. Go quietly, that I may only hear good of you, little toddlers." But when they were making the most noise in hunting up their books and dinner-pails, he shouted above it all, Come again to-morrow, as soon as it is light, or I will give you a thrashing. Come again in good season, little girls and boys, and then we will be industrious. End of chapter 3